This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Our hearts to the message of something I've entitled The Power of Forgiveness. Thank you. You may all be seated. Thank you. God bless you. Let's give a hand to our band and our choir. They've done a great job. Amen. Uh, I'd like to start with a story. It's a true story uh, told by a friend of mine. And uh, it says this. It says, on December 20th, 1974, 10-year-old Chris Carrier was walking home from school when a man pulled up in a van. The man opened the door and convinced Chris to come with him to help plan a party for the boy's father. Chris was just a few blocks from home when he excitedly hopped in the van for a trip that would change his life forever. There was no party to plan. Instead, the man planned to kill Chris to get revenge on the boy's father. Then he dragged the boy out of the vehicle, shot him through the head, and left him for dead. Six days later, a hunter found Chris, who, despite his horrific wounds, was still still breathing. The young boy miraculously survived, but he lost an eye where the bullet went through his skull. Twenty years later, a detective came across David McAllister, a man dying in a nursing home who confessed to the crime. Forgiveness. Chris, now 30 years old, agreed to the meeting. As he walked nervously into the room, the first thing he noticed was that the one... Chris was overcome with emotion for the man lying there, broken and alone. That day, Chris received David's apology, and he forgave him. Over the next six weeks, over the next several weeks, something miraculous, more miraculous than Chris's survival began to occur. The boy whom David McAllister left for dead began visiting him on a regular basis. Chris shared Jesus' love with him and Jesus' grace with him. And eventually, Chris led this, his former assailant eternity in peace. The book of Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 21 and 22, Jesus asks a question. He says, or, or, or what if his disciples ask a question? Peter asks a question. He says, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not 70 times seven times. That's 149 times. No matter how you cut this, 77, 149, that's a lot of times. How many times do I forgive? You see, I think we can all relate to Peter's inquiry of today in our lives. He's, he's asking Jesus, how often do I forgive a person? We've all been hurt at some point in our lives. Sometimes forgiving the one who caused us pain is difficult. Our memories of pain and betrayal, lies, manipulation. We harbor these emotions. 
when we are not willing or don't know how to release them properly. Eventually, they swell up in our hearts, causing a tsunami of inner turmoil. It's crucial that we learn how to forgive others so that we can avoid this imminent destruction of our own heart. But you see, Jesus to help us set others free from their sins. He came to die for the sins of others, not just you. So how do we forgive those who terrible things, painful things? James chapter 2, verse 13, put it simply. It says, mercy triumphs over justice. Mercy triumphs over justice. That's pretty simple. But how do we make this triumph a reality in our lives? When it comes to forgiveness, we need to guard our hearts so that we can continually respond to others in mercy like Jesus when he said what they do. Jesus was hanging on a cross and his response to the people that were murdering him, his response to the people that had beaten him, his response to the people who had totally destroyed every semblance of humanity in him was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. You see, only the mercy that allowed Jesus to love those who were crucifying him and falsely accusing him. God wants us to offer others the same mercy that he has poured out on us. But how? How do we do that? They sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins... Your Father will not forgive you your sins. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Now, my desire isn't to see people get trouble on their head. But I know this, that I'm not just. I says if I sit in the seat of judgment and I refuse to forgive someone of their sins, my Father in heaven will not forgive me. But he has freely forgiven me, so I have no alternative but to forgive them. For it is God that's dealing with the hearts of men. Can we understand that? Waiting on God's judgment becomes increasingly difficult in, di- in direct proportion to the size of the sin that was perpetrated against us. And defeated. In those kind of emotional times, we can also feel like we're minimizing or justifying a person's offense against us if we release it to God. I'm in pain. This guy did something terrible to me, and I, he deserves what he gets. Anybody ever feel that way? 
and I want him to get it now. I'm not turning this over to you, God. I, I bless, bless, bless God. You, get, I'll get him. I'll, you forget. I'll get him. Has anybody ever done that? Offenses to God. It allows us to rise above them. When you hold on to pain, we become captives to it. And once captive, we fall prey to all the negative effects of the enemy. You see, our relationships suffer as well as our spiritual lives, not to mention the physical ramifications that come from unresolved pain, stress, anger, anxiety, and depression. I have such a nice facade on the outside, but you pick that little scab or you, you touch a little deeper inside their soul and out vomits all kinds of bitterness and anger and hatred. So often when I see people sick, emotions that are making them sick, sick they are diseased. And the disease is causing them to be sick. Does that make sense? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 explains that if we don't deal with our negative emotions, Satan can gain a stronghold in our lives. Anger and unforgiveness are thieves of all that God has intended for us. But anger, do not you know, God can break. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I like the King James Version. It says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. What is that talking about? How many of you have been angry and you've went to bed angry? Well, let's just take it a little bit closer to home. How many of you have ever been angry with your wife? And went to bed angry? How many of you have ever had a fight with your wife? And you know how it is. You lay as far as you can over on your side of the bed, her back to you, and you're both having a conversation with the devil. <laughs> See, because when you're not talking to each other, you're still talking. I should have said, he didn't do that. And she, uh, you know, she does this. She always does that. She never You got to know those are the words of the devil. Not always and never. She always and she never. That's the devil speaking to you. And then you wake up in the morning, and after a good night of talking to the devil, you both have ironclad cases to take up the fight again. But now you are retri- you've, you've, you've dug big ditches, and now you're ready for the fight. And you have all your arguments that have been fed to you by the devil. You gave place to the devil. How, how many of you have ever had an issue with someone? And then you start adding things that weren't really true. You start even adding things that they said or they might have said or they, they might say. And instead of might say, they become what you said. You, well, you, I, well, you meant it. How did you come to all that conclusion? Because you gave place to the devil. And so instead of a relationship that could have been resolved, could have been reconciled, could have been saved... Now, because you've listened to the devil, now because you've built a case bigger than it is, you no longer have control over it, 
and your relationship, destroying a marriage, destroying something that could have been salvaged. One amen. Thank you. Just tap your neighbor and say, I told you you should have been in church today since we're here. You know, I know of a man who tried to do everything he could to counteract an abusive manager that was over him, his boss. He tried every courtesy, every generosity he could to solve a irreconcilable difference. Somehow this guy just was didn't like him. The guy, the boss was just picked on him. Part of it was because he wouldn't take a bribe or, or, or offer bribes. But part of it was also the fact that this guy wouldn't hang out with the rest of the crowd and after work go have a few drinks and tell dirty jokes and you know talk bad about his wife and talk bad about everybody in the office. He, he wouldn't engage in those things. And because he wouldn't engage in those things, he was the butt end of every joke. He was the butt end of... And, and he got all the, the bad jobs and, and the boss just took it out on him. This man came and told me, he said, you know, I was ready to quit the job. He says, about forgiveness. And he taught about the law of release. And he said, so one day I just came to the end of myself and I bowed my head at, the tab- at, at my desk. And he says, oh, God, he says, if you could just take this from me. He says, but I, I choose today to release this man. I choose to forgive him for the way he's treating me. And I'm asking you to intervene. And he got up and he began to continue his witness and his testimony, loving everybody, being as generous and kind as he could possibly be. And within a couple of days, in fact, the following week, this man, his boss came to him and said, hey, listen, his family had gone through a terrible thing. Well, God began to work in that man's life because of a righteous response and an answer to the prayer of a righteous man. Today, this man has helped secure that man's family, his marriage. He's now a trusted and loyal member of the staff. And instead of the staff getting together and telling dirty jokes, the atmosphere of the company has changed. See, I believe that if we'll let him, God can break the cycle of pain, frustration, and anger in our lives. But we've got to do it God's way. Now, unfortunately, there will be times when there are no quick results, (laughs) no quick resolutions to a particular problem in your life. But even in these situations, God will not abandon us. In fact, sometimes he changes our circumstances, but more often at times he uses our circumstances to change our own hearts. I spoke to a lady in our church, and she uh, and there was one particular relative who lives in the city who had disgraced herself that she'd had children by three different fathers and 
hurt the family and had actually said some things that were just absolutely horrific to members of the family. And she'd been shunned and nobody wanted to be with her. And yet everybody in the family felt like they needed to reach out to the kids. And so as these family members came into town, they thought, well, let's just invite some of the kids over and, you know. But then she felt checked in her spirit and said, no, no, I'm not only going to invite the children, I'm going to invite the mother done such terrible things and had shamed their family. When she said that she was going to do this, the other members of the family were very nervous. And yet when they gathered, everybody began to weep and to cry. And a reconciliation had boldly brought all those members together and had to get over the pain of her own heart. Had that not happened... The division, the unforgiveness, and the bitterness would have just gotten worse and worse and worse. Here's the crazy thing. All of these people have had some kind of an encounter with Christ. And yes, sin is ugly and it hurts us. But you know what? If we've had an encounter with Christ, all the more reason to help bring reconciliation and forgive each other. Amen? Is anybody listening today? It says, great peace have they which love thy law. That word law is Torah. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And we love the laws of God because they are God's laws and because they're the way we're supposed to live. Great peace have they which love your law and nothing shall offend them. (laughs) Say, nothing shall offend them. See, if you're full of the law of God, if you're full of the word of God, I'll tell you what, you begin to rise above every offense. It's when you're still full of yourself, have power and preeminence in your life. That's when, to be quite honest with you, you're offended. It's hard to forgive. But when you see God's law and you're in love, you can't get offended. You, nothing shall offend you because you see it through God's eyes. Wouldn't you love to have that kind of peace? Wouldn't you love to have nothing offend you? Just tap your neighbor and say, I'd love to have nothing offend me. Now, I want you to know, there is no magic formula to bring the... You don't suddenly become impermeable to insults. You don't suddenly become immune to attack and to hurt and pain. What happens, though, is that we begin to take on the mind of Christ. To put it another way, we begin to forget about ourselves and focus on the pain in our offenders that would cause them to do such a thing. When you begin to look at somebody and say, why would they act that way? They must be hurting, really have the mind of Christ. At 11 o'clock, you raise your hands. Father, we worship you. We praise you. It's that time of the day when we say seven times a day, we praise you. We love you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. See when we can begin to recognize that their need for Christ is the same as ours or as anyone's, 
we begin to view the world differently. For he said, this is one of the most after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Folks, I'll tell you what, to follow Christ, you can't be thinking about yourself. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, which may mean that you have to absorb the offense of another, which may mean that you have to forgive even though you don't feel like it, which may mean that you have to release even though that's not your natural temperament and say, God, I'm going to let you involved in this thing. I'll bear the burden of it. I'll bear the pain of it. I'll bear it on my back so that that person can get set free. I see that they have a great need of you. They need forgiveness. They need release. If we can easily lie to ourselves, we'll see that situations are not really about us, but they're about the broken people that are in need of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not going to walk through life without heartache. That we learn to focus on God through these harmful situations, these hurtful times. We learn to see the situation through his perspective, through the word's perspective. And if we do that, then we'll face these situations with confidence, with humility, and with grace in Jesus Christ. See, God's word contains all the power that you and I need to solve every single problem, to deal with the offensive things that this world throws at us. I want to consider three things as we close today that will help you to deal confidently with issues of forgiveness. Number one, the word, look beyond the faults of others and see their real need. Now, we have to be careful not to use this perspective in kind of a condescending way. I know some Christians that are so condescending. Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, you're just so immature, you know, us mature Christians. Oh, I can see, you know, you're just a baby, If you were really a Christian, you'd act like me. No, 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 no. Don't be condescending. We have to be full of humility, full of love for people. We are no better than than our offender in the eyes of the kingdom of God. See, we have to. The only God would fill us with compassion and mercy towards those who offend us so that his work could be done in their lives. He uses you and I to reach out to people and help them. Number two, the word will reveal the truth of the issue to you. You see, the word gives us spiritual discernment to cut through the issue at hand to understand a deeper pain that's fomenting in the hearts of another person. In fact, the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, God's word. You can look at somebody and say, oh, I'm discerning that this is not what the issue is. It's something else. There's an intent here that I can't see. But, oh, Holy Spirit, I see you're letting me see. The word discerns between a thought and an intent, between a joint and a marrow. And so when you can have that discernment because you're full of the word of God and the word of God is working in you, you're able to overlook the issue and say, oh, there's a deeper need. You're able to say, oh, the word of God supersedes the situation I find myself in. And so God begins to help you with the attitudes of people's hearts. In other words, the word will let you see things for what they really are. Instead, see these situations into something 
that reveals God's glory, God's mercy, and his loving kindness. Like this woman, the people fell into each other's arms. They were hugging each other, weeping and crying, and they were so glad that they did that because it was the Christian thing to do. It was the godly thing to do. When they could have, for another 20 years, not speak to each other, hold each other in bitterness. And who does it affect? Their own hearts. And finally, number three, the word of God helps us to rise above the offense and take the higher ground. Deep hurts and pain. The word of God brings the healing that we desperately need in our lives. It takes the higher ground. It takes us to higher ground where we can readily forgive our offender, where we can say, God, there go I, but by the grace of God, God, forgive me. I deserve the same punishment, but I'm going to release this into your hands because it's not worth it. See, in order to put those crippling emotions of unforgiveness behind us, we need to remember that the real enemy is the devil. The real enemy is Satan. He is out to destroy us with every power that he has available to him. I'll tell you what, if he can keep us stewing in confidence to know that even this little mustard seed of faith is enough to grow up into a tree of righteousness, to say, no, I'm going to do what God says, and trust him that he'll grow it up and that it'll change our situation and take us to the higher ground. If we let God handle our tendency to cast judgment on others, I'll tell you what, you'll find a release of your emotions. There's a release that's associated with, unforg- with that's, re- that's associated with forgiveness. Where once you forgive, something breaks and you're set free. I want you to know something. God is big enough to hold our pain in his hands. God can take care of it. Our pardon and forgiveness is concerned. We have to remind ourselves regularly to the real need in a hurtful situation. The need is not about my hurt. The need is namely the need in others. Their need for Christ and a Christ-like answer for their situation. This young man, Chris, but he felt like this detective came and said, I found the man who tried to kill you, who blinded you. He'd like to meet you. Oh, I can't even imagine the emotions that must have gone through him other than he'd had an encounter with Christ and he walked into the room 20 years later and he sees a man blind in both eyes and totally distraught broken and instead of looking at his own situation he looked at that man and said God this is a chance for this man to have eternal life See, I don't know the unregenerate mind would have said I hope he goes to hell I, he deserves that look what he did to me but the mind of Christ says no God he did this to me but what you meant for evil, what he meant for evil, God, I'm going to ask you to turn it for good. Save this man. Save this man. 
Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. To come and join me at the front of the altar. Come quickly, pastors. Today, this is not an easy message. Because your natural tendency, your natural attitude is to not forgive. The natural man wants to be justified now. The natural man wants to be angry. The natural man wants its pound of flesh. The natural man wants justice. But see, I'm asking you to be the spiritual man or spiritual woman. Situations in your own marriage, your own children. I had a man in my church who his daughter married across the color barrier. He became so embarrassed and so angry and so bitter that he quit the church, wrote his kid off, said, you'll never be in my will. Man, it was ugly. A few years later, his health deteriorated. The young couple had beautiful little colored babies. The man's heart softened. He eventually wrote them back into the will, loved those kids, and got over it, and forgiveness flowed in the family. But oh, those seven years or eight years where they were bitter. For what? Because of what the guys at the office would say. The pride of life. The cares of this world. Oh, church. Some of us need to rend our hearts today and say, God, 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 I've ruined my life. I've ruined the life of others. I've been unforgiving. I live in an unforgiving family. I've contributed to bitterness. I've contributed to the cause of judgment. Whatever it is, I don't know, but I know at least I have the message of the hour. And this can't be done by magic. Done through brokenness. It's done by forgiving. It's it's done by determining we're going to take action. So for some of you, you need to speak to a pastor. For others of you, you need to find your place at an altar. You say, "I just got to deal with God myself. I just need to meet God at the altar." There's others of you, and you are here today, and you don't know Jesus. You've never given your life to Christ. I'm going to ask you, as people leave their seats to come and pray. Talk to a pastor to Christ today. There's others of you that you've allowed bitterness to cause you to backslide. It's not that Jesus left you. You left him. You sat in the seat of judgment. You're sick in your body today. There's healings for some of you today. I know the moment you release some of these people, healing will begin to spring forth in your body. You come and you pray with one of our pastors, and the Bible says, as you forgive others, God will forgive you. As you confess your faults one to another, it brings healing into your life. The release will come. They'll pray for healing for you, and from this very hour, you'll get, to be, you'll get better. Or as you go, you'll get better, or immediately you'll receive your Everybody in the auditorium, just stand. If you know that God's speaking to you about a situation in your life, and if this message is ministered to you,
There's an altar. That's what it's for. There's a place to come and kneel. There's a place to come and pray. There's a place to come and find God. I'm not going to give you a prophecy. I'm going to give you an opportunity to rend your heart and let God talk to you. God speaks to his people. If you're not born again, there's an altar. There's a place to meet someone. Will you do that today? Will you open your heart? Will you really let just God in? The altar's open. Just come. Come. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.